morning on Trick or Treat. And I'm going to take a, a text out of 2 Chronicles chapter 18. While you turn to that, we'll look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning in Jesus' name, thankful for how good you are to your people. We trust your word, we trust your spirit to guide us, to get us the understanding we need as we move forward as your people. We, lo we love you, Lord, and we want to serve you in a greater way. We're thankful again. I want to say it before everybody for all the things that the congregation has meant to me over the last 17 years. And I ask, Lord, that you would just help them to understand that it's a work that we do together. So bless them all, we pray, and give them something this morning to move on their minds and hearts, to keep them in touch with you, in Jesus' name, amen. In 2 Chronicles, the 18th chapter, I'm going to preach the whole chapter, maybe, um, you know, if we've got a couple hours. But nonetheless, uh, I just want to point out, I'm not going to read it except pull out the verses and talk about it as we go. And I think some of you may recognize what takes place here in this chapter, but it's not something you hear taught on or preached on a whole lot. How many of you know who Ahab is? Ahab, yeah. Well, he was a king, uh, and uh, he had a wife named Jezebel, yeah. And she was a... She was a a thorn in the side of Elijah the prophet. Uh, but this portion of history that we're going to talk here, we're going to find out that the king of Judah and the king of, of Israel kind of reminds me of trick-or-treat. I'm going to get into it a little bit and show you what I'm talking about. At this point in history, uh, the promised land that God had given to the children of Israel that he brought out of Egypt and brought into the Canaan land, they've gone through a lot of problems. And we talked about it even in Sunday school. We've got to be able to get along. Well, they even had problems getting along in the Old Testament. So it's nothing new. We're at about 900 B.C. in Second Chronicles, the 18th chapter. So they've had their share of problems too. But you just have to understand, a majority, if not all, problems in the church or in a kingdom or in anywhere usually is caused by some sort of sin or another. In this case, we're going to find out Greed and envy was a lot of the issues that they were dealing with here in this particular chapter of the scriptures. So when we find out those things, we found out that the, what we'd call Israel or what God called the Canaan land or the promised land or the land of milk and honey, it had a lot of different names, had been split into two divisions. There was an upper, northern, lower, southern. They called the upper part Israel, the lower part Judea. I guess that's how you say it, Judea, Judah, whatever you, however you want to say it. But uh, there was two different kings. This kingdom split after Solomon had uh, passed on and his sons, of course he had quite a few sons, and they all decided they was the best and they wanted to take over and run things. So it ended up causing a lot of splits, a lot of family fights, a lot of family even killings uh, between brothers and, and siblings and whatnot. So here we have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the, the king of Judea, it tells us here in the first verse of this, was a guy named Jehoshaphat. 
Now you could read them, you could read it in your spare time, but I'll just tell you, in the 17th chapter, he was the son of a king named Asa. Asa did right in the sight of the Lord. It's, it's kind of ironic when I read a lot of the, the book of Kings or the book of Chronicles, and they talk about the different kings in there. Um, the first thing it usually says about them, he did right in the sight of God, or he did evil in the sight of God. Seems like God had a way of letting the Holy Spirit just brand them, if you would, so the people that were reading what they were doing as king of those different regions would know why they did what they did. Well, it was for uh, different reasons other than what God wanted to do. So King Jehoshaphat, he reigned in Judea, the southern part, and the headquarters there was Jerusalem. That's where the temple was. That's where Solomon built the temple. That's where for years now, even when you take it on up 900 years. That's where the Passover is going to take place. That's where Jesus was when they arrested him and crucified him. At that Passover in Jerusalem, same place. The scriptures teach us that he reigned there just like his father Asa did, and he did right in the eyes of the Lord. His father did, and he did, and they even go as so far, if you really want to know how close they were living to God, they'll say in there, and of course you can read that in chapter 17, verse 1 through 3 there, you can read where he followed the law or the commandments of God like his father, and he would call him David. Because David was the one that God always points back to. That was the apple of his eye. He was the one that said, of David's seed it will come, of course, the Messiah. We know all about that. So when you trace back through David, that's when you've really known you've got everything down pat. Well, uh, seemingly, God's blessings were on Jehoshaphat, and peace ruled that portion of his country and in that portion of history. And along with that peace, his neighbors came and offered him a lot of gifts and things because when they fought a battle, God fought it for them. And the neighbors recognized that. That's why they didn't fight very many battles. You know why? God never loses. Amen. You can fight against God, but God never loses. And if you're walking right, according to David, according to your father Asa, according to what the Word of God or the Spirit of God is telling you, uh, you don't have to worry about the battles that come your way. God will take care of that. And so here we have Jehoshaphat doing just peaches and cream. Everything's wonderful. Everything's going great. Even the Philistines, they've been a thorn in David's side, in Solomon's side, in all of Israel's side for years. The Philistines even brought presents to him so he wouldn't fight against them anymore. That's what they do when you, when you want to make peace with somebody, you give them a present. Thank you for my pastor appreciation presents. Now we've got peace. Amen? All right, but here we go. And then in uh, uh, the beginning of this particular chapter, it introduces another king, and we know him as Ahab, okay? Now, Ahab was the king of Israel. That's the northern kingdom, all right? So somehow, Ahab got word to Jehoshaphat, you know, we need to get together more often. Wouldn't it be just nice if we could just have peace and harmony and everything work out great? Well, that'd be 
one thing to say it, but Jehoshaphat usually had something else up his sleeve. If you know the story of uh, Jezebel and Ahab and the, the battles they had with Elijah and different things, uh, you'll know that Ahab uh, really wasn't interested in helping Jehoshaphat. He was willing or able to draw him down. You know what you'll find in whenever somebody compromises, truth loses. Just think about it. Whenever you think of a compromise, usually truth loses. Amen? All right, so here we have Ahab and Jehoshaphat coming together. They want to compromise, and they want to get everything doing great in both kingdoms. Of course, that's what Ahab said, but we'll find out that's different. Now, where would they meet? Well, there's one in the, up in the north, and then there's one in Jerusalem. But guess what? Right in between, there's a city called Samaria. Now, Samaria... Uh, was a border town between Israel and Judah. And whenever one kingdom was doing well, Samaria was on their side. And when the other kingdom was doing well, Samaria could switch sides pretty quick. <laughs> How about that stuff? They'd step over the line pretty quickly. Amen. Well, that's my way of saying it so you'll get it in your mind. Samaria was just, if you would, caught in the middle and I see it as what we see even in America today, and we call them sanctuary cities. You ever heard the term sanctuary cities? You know what that means? They don't stand for nothing, you know? All right, so they, they want to make sure that they got everything right. Uh, we should be familiar with that sanctuary cities in the United States today. Samaria was, if you would, the independent party. Uh, when the... Things were going good for the blue states, they wanted to join them. When things are going good for the red states, they want to join them. Amen. That's the way they wanted to operate in that time. In other words, whoever's scratching your back, that's who's going to be your friend. Amen. We got a lot of people today that are looking for more back scratches. What do you got for me? I call it the elbow disease. Gimme, 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 gimme. They got their hands stuck out all the time wanting somebody to grease their palm or give them something free. Well, uh, at that time, uh, it didn't work any different than it does today. So Jehoshaphat and Ahab decided, it's okay, we'll get together. And Jehoshaphat felt like he was living good enough, if you would, for God, that God wouldn't want to let him down. And Ahab thought, oh, well, if I can get Jehoshaphat to come to my side, even though I live evil, if you would, if I get Jehoshaphat to buddy up with me and I go to war and Jehoshaphat brings God with him, God never loses. Huh. Even the bad guy might get a victory out of this one. Remember that thought. Amen? Because it's not going to turn out the way Ahab wants it to turn out. Amen? So all, they wanted, all he wanted to do was compromise and get in the middle between doing good and evil and try to find out how God could help them uh, overcome or take on more territory or however he wanted to look at it. All right, but once they got together, Ahab and Jehoshaphat joined forces and they were going to go up to a town called Ramoth-Gilead. You can read about it in there in, there in uh, verse number 2 talks about he's going up there and, and they decide. So Jehoshaphat said to Ahab, 
Let's ask God about this in verse 4. Maybe we ought to take time to pray about whether we should go up to Ramoth Gilead and start a battle up there. And what you're talking about, in the, if you would talk about, is he's thinking about invading the Syrians. Okay? So you know where Israel is today, and you know where Syria is. They wanted to cross over and take more territory from the Syrians. So said, let's ask God about this. Well, Ahab, he's a man. He knows how to get somebody's attention. He said, well, I don't have to ask God. I got 400 prophets I can talk to about it. So in verse 5, he gathered the 400 prophets, and he asked them, should we go up to Ramoth Gilead or not? Well, be careful of the prophets of Ahab. They should have been con uh, conditioned better than they were, but all they wanted to do was say what they thought the king wanted to hear. How many of you know somebody, you ask them a question, and you know the answer they gave you is what they thought you wanted to hear? Eh, if you worked on a job very long, you didn't have to be at Sears. Your job's probably the same way. When somebody's talking to the boss, they always tell the boss what they think the boss wants to hear. You know, maybe the boss doesn't want to hear that. Maybe the boss would like to hear the truth. But you're afraid that if you tell him the truth, hmm, I got myself in trouble doing that on a job, but that's okay. I don't work there anymore, and I'm still alive, just still surviving. Amen. But you got to understand that the people that wanted to if you would appease the king and just tell him what he wanted to hear, and they knew his heart was in going to the battle at Ramoth Gilead because it hadn't even crossed Jehoshaphat's mind until the two of them met in Samaria. So now we get it there, and now all 400 of these guys, and again, to me, that sounds like Washington, D.C., all 400 of them agreed, yep, you should go to Washington, oh, no, Ramoth Gilead and take over. You need to run over those Syrians, steal everything they got, and bring it back, make it part of your kingdom. Amen? Verse 6 starts out with the word but. Now, we know what that means. On the other hand, we need to take a second look at this. We need to look at the other side of what's going on here. But Jehoshaphat said, wait a minute, we need to look here uh, and inquire of the Lord. Maybe we should pray about this before we do. He said, why? I got 400 prophets agreeing with me. Well, there's 400 false prophets, but nonetheless, uh, we don't need to pray about it when 400 guys have already said we should go. Well, Jehoshaphat said, I I'd like to get one more uh, touch it with God on this matter and see what the Lord has to say about it. And he says, do you know any more prophets other than these four? And Ahab said, you know what? There is one more. But he never, never, never tells me what I want to hear. He tells the truth and that's not really what I wanted to hear. So in verse 7, he says, yes, there's, there's one more beside all these uh, uh, that's going to be there and, and one more. And so the scripture says, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. 
Huh, wonder why? For he never prophesies good unto me, but always evil. He's not prophesying evil. You're taking it evil because your heart is evil. People that have an evil heart, when truth hits it, they think you're mad at them. Amen. When they're doing wrong, I mean evil, stealing, and you catch them, you say, you shouldn't steal. That's not really a good policy. They get mad at you. Uh, can you believe that? And here you're the true prophet, and now everybody else on the job would turn a blind eye and say, didn't see nothing, it's okay. Right? Oh, trick or treat. Be careful. Amen. So when they get there, he says, I hate him because he never tells me the truth about what I want to hear. So in verse 8, they've come to a compromise, if you would. And Jehoshaphat says, I want to hear from 401. Amen. That's me. I'm 401. I'm going to tell you the truth, even if the other 400 told you wrong. You can just call me 401 if you want to. So while they waited there, in uh, verse 8, said they sent for, uh, his name was Micaiah. I think I'm saying that right. If not, you'll, you can read it as you want. So they sent for him, and while they were waiting, both of the kings put on their best robes, their kingly garb. And of course, they're not either one of them in the city where their throne is. Right? They're not either one. Not one in, in Judah, not one in Israel. They're both in Samaria. So they meet at the city gate to Samaria because neither one of them even really like the Samaritans because they never agree with nobody. They just are wishy-washy and will just go with the flow. So they meet at the gate there, and they're all dressed up in their kingly stuff, and, and they're getting ready for their trick-or-treat. They got their costumes on. Amen? So uh, while they wait at the gate until all the prophets have had their say, they just sit there, and then finally, in verses 11 through 13, the messenger goes and gets Micaiah. Now, he's probably not really close and actually because Ahab knows him, it doesn't say it, but he's probably from the, the northern group, the Israel group under Ahab, and, and he sent for him. And while he's coming, the messenger that goes to get him um, comes back and fills him in on what's going on. The two kings, both of them, Jehoshaphat and Ahab. Now, they don't agree much, but I think they're coming together. And they want you to come and let, them, let you tell them what God told you about this union of those two coming together and working out all their issues. Wouldn't that be great? Amen. So here he comes. He comes down there, and while he's coming, the guy that went to go get him fills in the blanks about what's going on. Now remember, you're going to be standing before two different kings, and 400 other prophets have already gave their consent. They want to know, does God want them to go to war at Ramoth Gilead and fight against the Syrians or not? So, he, being a man of God, a true prophet, he starts praying about it. You know, you can pray while you walk. Did you know that? Huh. 
You can pray while you're getting there. And by the time you get there, God will probably have given you the answer. You know, you may not have had the answer when you left home, but time you get there, God will help you. So when they get there, they let them know that uh, uh, the 400 other prophets already said something, but then it comes to uh, Micaiah and he says to him, what say you? What say you about what we need to do? Well, in verse number 13, Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, even what my God saith, I will speak. So he's going to tell them the truth. And when they get there, what do you say? Should we go up or not? And I can't tell you because I didn't see Micaiah standing there before the king. But I, you know, a lot of times when you tell somebody the truth, they look you in the eye. They want to see your facial expressions or your hand gestures when say, should we go to war? Of course you should. You know, well, that would tell me, no, maybe I shouldn't, you know. Or, are you kidding me? Well, sure. And Micaiah has told him the same thing the 400 prophets said because he already knew their minds were made up. Amen. Now, I can't tell you what's going on, but in verse 16, he said that God showed him that when he goes up there, he showed me that Israel looks just like a bunch of sheep that's been scattered without a shepherd. So I'm counting on you guys getting things together the way they should be. Amen. Well, once he says to them, yeah, it's okay, go up. Then the king Ahab gets mad. How many times have I told you to quit lying to me? Now, how did he know he was lying? Oh, it must have been hand gestures, facial expressions, or, or didn't even look at him at all. Just go ahead, whatever. I don't know how he knew that, but he knew he wasn't telling him the truth as to what God had told him. So in verse 17, we're moving right along here. We get down to it. Um, it says there that the king of Israel, that's uh, Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he would not prophesy good unto me but evil? Yes, he did tell us that in verse 7. Verse 7, that's exactly what he said. When Micaiah comes, that's what he's going to say. Well, he told him the truth, but he didn't want to hear it. So he's going to tell him something he didn't want to hear. That doesn't make it truth or error. It makes it what God said for him to do. Amen. So in verse number uh, 16, when the truth does come out, he said, oh no, here we go again. So Ahab says to Josephat, I knew he wouldn't tell me what I wanted to hear. Now look at verse 18. And again, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne and all hosts of heaven standing in his right hand and on his left hand. Micaiah says, I've had the opportunity now to tell you the truth about what's going on here. I got it straight from heaven. You can't deny where I got my facts from. Amen? Now, Listen to me real close. Everybody ready? This is not a trick or treat. But I want to tell you how to tell whether a prophet is a prophet of God or a false prophet. You know how you tell is whether he prophesies something 
and it comes to pass. If it, he prophesies something, if, even if there's 400 of them, and they say go up and take the city, and it doesn't work out, they were false prophets. But if one says, I wouldn't go if I was you, because you're not going to return home. Now that's farther down in the chapter. We'll get there. But which one was telling the truth? The true prophet. That's how you know whether somebody is a true prophet or a false prophet. A true prophet can even make a mistake. That doesn't make him false. Amen? There's a difference. But when they stand there and pound their fist on the ground and stomp their feet and say, this is absolutely what God said, when they didn't even call out God's name and ask him about what they should do, that makes them a false prophet. They're representing God wrong. But Micaiah took time to call out to God. He said, I seen him sitting on his throne. I seen what's going on down there just like sheep without a, a shepherd. And you guys are not leading the people the way they should be going. There should be something different happening here. So in this, play, in this time, Micaiah gets a chance to tell him the truth. Verse 19, And the Lord said, Who shall entice Ahab king of Israel that he may go up to, uh, and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one spake saying after uh, this manner, and another saying after that manner. They couldn't even get their story straight. So when they got up there, the false prophet said, Everything's going to be okay, Ahab. Go on up to Ramoth Gilead. But then, one of the false prophets volunteered to speak up to Ahab in verse 20 and 21. You can read it down through there. And tells him what he thinks is going to happen. One of those false prophets say, it's going to be okay. Go ahead. Hmm. Every group of false prophets has to have a spokesperson, if you would has to be the one that puts the final period at the end of the sentence. Well, verse 23, when that all comes to pass, I'm sure Micaiah was standing there saying, Oh, no, don't go. Well, Zedekiah steps up and slaps Micaiah right across the chops, lets him have it, and rebukes him for prophesying the way he did. And all Micaiah did was say what God told him to say. Micaiah answers him, if you would, in the traditional way to detect whether a prophet is a prophet of God or a false prophet. He said, well, all right. I say don't go. 400 say go. Go ahead and go. See which way was right. Only time will tell. Amen? You don't know when you go trick-or-treating what they're dropping in your bag unless you keep an eye on them. Amen? Well, Ahab decided they were going to go on up and take on this battle when they go up there. So when this situation plays out, Micaiah says, let's see which group God blesses. So the king orders Micaiah to be taken and put in prison. Just feed him bread and water. Keep him there till I get back. He said that in verse number 26. Just keep him in prison till I get back from the war. Then we'll know what's going back. But guess what Micaiah says? If you come back from that battle, God hasn't spoken to me. You're not coming back, Ahab. 
Hmm. Now, I think that might have got his attention a little bit. Amen. So in verse number 28, both kings head to the battle. Hmm. They went up. And the king of Israel, that's Ahab, said unto Jehoshaphat, I'm going to disguise myself. Huh. Wonder why. He may started having second thoughts about this battle. Because Micaiah has never been wrong when he spoke to him. It just wasn't what Ahab wanted to hear. And maybe he got to thinking, huh, what if he's right? So he disguises himself in the fact that he takes off his kingly robe and just puts on another set of clothes. He's put on his trick-or-treat costume. He doesn't want anybody to know who he is when he rings the doorbell and says trick-or-treat. Why? He's got a mask probably. I don't know. Maybe he looks like Buzz Lightyear. I don't know who he dressed up like, but he took his clothes off and disguised himself and, uh, and but uh, put thou on thy robes and the king of Israel disguised himself and they went to battle. Wow! Well, check it out. The trick-or-treat's ready to roll. He's up there in his costume, wants to see what happens. In verse 30, the king, as they were going to fight against the total, uh, told the army, don't forget. Now, the king of Syria had probably prayed about it. And Micaiah may even have gotten word to him that they're coming. I don't know. But the king of Syria says, you know those guys that are coming from Israel and Judah? Half of them are good guys. They're from Judah. Guess what? When they get here and see that the battle's not what they thought it was going to be, not what Ahab and his prophets said it was going to be, you know what they're going to do? They're going to turn tail and get out of here. Amen? They're going home. Isn't that something? Well, let's see if that happens. So he told his army, don't even fight against them. They're all going to turn tail and go home. The only person I want you to fight against is the king of Israel, Ahab. That's the only guy I want you to fight against. You see him? Take him down. Guess what? Nobody recognized him because he was incognito in his trick-or-treat outfit in disguise. Amen? So as he goes out through there, the battle gets close and the battle gets hot. And Jehoshaphat, in verse number 31, comes to his senses. And finally, he for himself cries out to God. He said, God, what are we doing here? Well, God answered him really, really quickly. And he said, what should I do? And God said, go home. Huh. See that in verse 31? Go home. Amen. You don't need to stay here. And they departed from the battle. What'd that do? That left Ahab strung out with nobody behind him to fight with him. So he was in his chariot. He was the only one left to fight, verse number 32 tells us. And because Ahab is not in his king's robe... He was in his trick-or-treat costume. The army of the Syrians, they didn't even try to fight him. 
because they didn't recognize him as king. And everybody else went home but this one guy. <laughs> Isn't that something? And so we need to remember now who was right in this battle. Looks like the true prophet, not the false prophet. Amen. So here we go. Micaiah had said to Ahab, if you come back from this battle, God's not spoke to me. There isn't even a battle. They all went home before they could even get started out fighting one another. Isn't that something? Well, one of the guys, I don't know why, sometimes I get aggravated too when I go deer hunting and didn't see a thing for weeks upon end. Nothing that, and you know, sometimes the thought crosses me, the next squirrel that runs across in front of me, that's going to be dinner. I just, you know, sometimes you're just so anxious to get out there and so anxious to take a deer and you don't see, and the squirrels are all over you and, it's, and you just want to shoot an arrow. Well, there was a guy in the Syrian armor that kind of took on that attitude. You know what he did? He took his bow and arrow and he just didn't even pull, you know how you pull my aim? Him? He didn't do that. He just held it down to his side, put the arrow in it, and twing! Up in the air, the arrow went. And the wind probably caught it and moved it around, and the arrow went zoom, 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 higher and higher, and finally out of their sight. And guess what? God grabbed that arrow. Boom! Right into the chest of Ahab. Isn't that something? Wow! He didn't know what he was doing. He just shot at random just because... He came to fight, and there was nobody to fight. Well, at least I want to shoot an arrow so I can go home one arrow short and tell my family we had a good battle and we won. Amen. But God has a way of taking the arrows that he wants to hit and make bullseye out of the real targets. So here he goes. That bullseye was on Ahab's chest, and trick or treat, he got hit right where God wanted to hit. Ahab, the joke's on you now. God's still true. God's man was proven to be the true prophet in the face of all the false prophets. Verse 34, trick or treat's over. The sun goes down, and Ahab dies in his chariot just as God said it would through the prophet Micaiah the true prophet. We know he's the true prophet now because what he said would happen. Uh-huh. God saw it through. Amen. Well, all's well that ends well. I've heard that somewhere before, but uh, Jehoshaphat went back to Jerusalem. He set things right before God and all Judea. You can read that in chapter 19. He went back and he set up prophets. He told them to read the word of God to the people. He told them to obey all the laws of God. He knew for himself that God would make everything right no matter who was against it and who wanted to do anything. Now, he was aware that not all prophets are prophets of God. No matter how much the 400 of them agree, no matter how much they say the same things over and over again, Again, sounds like Washington, D.C. to me. But here's the real lesson that, is, uh, that God wants us to know about all of this and the truth about it as it comes out. We need to always listen to God and not to the crowd 
around us. When it comes to walking in God's ways and God's will as a child of God, we need to listen to the prophet that's gotten with God and gotten in his word, got the spirit of God to back up what he says and say what God once said. Amen. It's kind of like the song, I'm not giving up. Amen. No matter how much candy they put in my bag, I'm still going to walk for God. They can't entice me to walk their ways. I'd rather be put in prison, eat bread and water like Micaiah, and be proven true rather than go to the trick-or-treat and have God direct an arrow right into me for the misguidance that I tried to do to the people behind me people around me and I was doing it for my own selfish greed and envy and jealousy you see God was in control in 900 BC and God's still in control in 2021 hasn't changed a bit nothing that everybody did in the Old Testament changed God's mind one little bit amen when we need to fight when God says fight, but when God says don't fight, we need to obey that too. We need to stand up and be exactly what God wants us to be. We need to find the truth and sell it not. We need to fight as if God says, I'm on your team and we're going to win no matter what comes. Amen. But to allow greed and motivate, uh, to be a motivation and get it to get us more candy... That's a trick-or-treat deception of the devil. Amen. Besides, all that candy will just do is rot your teeth out. Take it from a man that doesn't have any. Amen. All right. If you got false uppers and lowers, you can eat all the candy you want. It won't hurt your teeth. It'll probably take out other parts of your body from all the sugar, but amen. We don't need all that candy. Amen. We need to walk where God wants us to walk. Now, I realize in a lot of this uh, teaching, we tried to, if you would, add a little humor from point to point, but God's still the one that's in control. Amen. We try to make trick-or-treat as if it's bad. I don't think trick-or-treat's bad. Amen. Amen. I like greasy cup or two myself once in a while. Amen. I noticed that even Dennis wanted to eat, suck a lollipop while we were preaching. Amen. <laughs> He couldn't pass it up. I understand that. Amen. But when we listen to God, when we listen to what he has to tell us through the prophet he sends our way or through his word and through his spirit, the two witnesses, we need to walk where he wants us to walk. We won't get surprised by all the trick-or-treats that are behind closed doors. Amen. All kinds of TV commercials. We've been seeing about trick-or-treat and what to do and how. That's all from usually Nestle or Hershey just trying to sell more candy, trying to do uh, things to fill out their coffers, if you would. So what we need to do, we need to listen to God. Amen. Walk in his will that he's laid out for our individual lives. Don't let the devil trick you. And when it comes to devil's tricks, 
if you're walking with God, they'll be pretty obvious, and you'll have the grace of God allow you to avoid what the world has as pitfalls for you to fall into in your life as you walk the way God wants you to walk. Amen. You can have a good Halloween. You can go trick-or-treating if you want. Get all the candy you can get or give away all the candy you want to give away. You'll make friends, but let's do it the way that God wants us to do when we talk about our spiritual walk with God. Amen? We use a play on words there with trick-or-treat, but we want you to understand um, God is in control. He wants to call the shots. We need to listen when he speaks. Amen? And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it. Let us stand.